This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Necessary Roughness, brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. With 11-year NFL veteran, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and captain of the National Championship Michigan Wolverines, John Jansen. And 10-year NFL veteran, two-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers, T.J. Lang. Now, here's John Jansen and T.J. Lang. Well, TJ, the 2022 NFL draft is in the books. No more mock drafts for this year. We know exactly who the Lions have added. We know exactly who everybody in the division and across the NFL has added through draft picks or undrafted free agents. Uh, Your initial reaction before we dive into some of the specifics of this class to what you saw the Lions do this past weekend. Do you remember from uh, Christmas Story? where Ralphie turns in his homework and he has the dream and the teacher's like, hey, plus, plus, yes, plus. Yes. It's kind of how I felt it after the first round. But no, I think, look, a lot of excitement, right? I think you have uh, four, your top four players, you know, uh, Joseph, Pascal, Jim, Jameson Williams, and Hutchinson all have chance to be a day one starter. Jameson Williams obviously will have to see his recovery process. I know they're yeah. not going to rush him in, but um, whether it's week, two week five week six I mean I, I assume we're going to see him at some point in the first half of the season but I, I think all four of those guys uh, have a chance to come in and, and be a day one starter and with Pascal, maybe he's not a day one every down three down player for you on defense but um, he's going to add a lot of juice to the pass rush and the thing with him that I really loved was I know Brad Holmes talked about it too is versatility I mean yep. you go on and you know, I don't have access to watch, you know, the coaches film from all the college games, but you can go online and watch, you know, just a hey, Kentucky versus Florida, Kentucky versus Alabama, Kentucky versus Georgia, whatever it is. And you watch some of these games, you're just like, geez, man, some of his best rushes are coming from, you know, over the guards, over the center and, and how quick he is able to get into the backfield and be disruptive. I think he's going to be a big part of what they're trying to do on third down. So uh, I'm excited. You know, I think yesterday I, I you're, you're watching and you're, you're reading a lot of the the stories and people are trying to grade the draft and it's like <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous these yeah. guys haven't played a snap of 
of NFL football. If you want to grade, grade a draft, go back to 2018. Go back to 2019. You got, you know, As three or four fans, years. We don't want to do that. Right, but you got three or four years under your belt that you know, hey, let's go back. Oh, yeah, this guy's pretty good. You know, this was a pretty good draft class. Or, hey, this draft class stunk. We had a couple of those around here, too. But, no, I think uh, I think a lot of excitement. I think, uh, obviously, you're going to hear every GM say they got their highest-rated player and everybody's excited. Uh, got I'm their sure, guys. I'm sure they missed out on a couple guys that they wanted. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And I think they got some real good game changers, though, that uh, not only are going to come in and be able to produce on the field, but from what it sounds like, I mean, guys that when you're year two of your program still trying to build a culture, um, these are the type of guys you want to kind of be that uh, building block for the future. Well, and it, what we know about Aiden Hutchinson, right, two-time captain, uh, Pascal, well, one of the things that we learned about him was he's a three-time captain uh, at Kentucky. So they added athletic ability. Um, and this was, you know, if you're, if you're going off of metrics, the second most athletic class drafted um, this year, a lot of these guys were, you know, out of a you know scale of ten. I think uh, Pascal was like nine point seven five, and comparing him to like Aiden Hutchinson, who went two overall. I think Aiden was nine point eight eight. So yeah. you're talking about guys that that have really good athletic ability, and we'll talk about Pascal more in just a minute. But let's and let's James, go. But Jamison Williams too. The the weird part is like you don't. He's a freak athlete, but you don't really have hard numbers to put on it because no. obviously he didn't, you know, participate in the pro day or combine. But if he were, first of all, if he was healthy, he would have been a top five pick. But, you know, you add that to our, an already, like you were saying, athletic draft class. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I think I'm coming away with this draft is they added speed on both sides of the ball. Offensively, I know they only took two guys with with Jameson and uh, James Mitchell, the tight end, who was also injured last year from Virginia Tech. But they added speed on both sides of the ball, and that's something that I think was pretty glaring weakness last year. So let's talk more about Jameson Williams, and since, uh, since we're there already, um, are you okay with trading 32-34 and going up to 12 to get a guy that is coming off an ACL? Yeah, it, without the injury, he would have been one, if not the first wide receiver taken, probably one of the top two. However, he does fall to number 12 because you can't just discount the fact, or at least you can't ignore the fact that he is coming off an ACL. Were you okay with giving up two picks to jump up and get him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with the type of talent the kid is. Uh, obviously, like we said, if he didn't get injured in that uh, championship game, I mean, he's the first receiver off the board. He's a top five pick. Right, he's just yep. that explosive of a player, and you see today's NFL. And I mean, look at remember last year. I mean, people kill in Cincinnati for taking Jamar Chase over <laughs> Penae Sewell or Rashawn Slater. Everybody's talking, well and they go to the Super Bowl. And Jamar Chase is, uh, you know, he elevated that team to a different level. Jamison Williams has that type of talent, so um, they probably had a top five great on the kid and you see him slide and you see him go all the way down to 12 and you combine that with the fact that uh what was it Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were back to back there I think at 10 and 11 uh Drake London went just a couple picks before them you started to see a little bit of a run on those receivers obviously they felt like there was a big enough difference between you know maybe the top four guys including Jamison Williams and maybe the next group of guys that they didn't think they were going to be able to get at 32 or 34 or be able to move up to maybe you know 22 two and still get a productive receiver I don't think they felt that way so I had no problem with it because uh look there, there's a player there that that's sliding that's a top five talent I have no issue drop going yeah. up to get your guy uh now sure you could have gotten probably you know two more productive players at 32 and 34 but 
are they going to have a chance to be what Jamison William ha- potential is? Right, the where impact that he has, the impact that he's going to have. I mean, you can ar- you can argue a case that uh, we're obviously going to have to wait to see how this thing plays out, but you can argue that the Lions came away with the best defensive player and possibly the best offensive skill player at least. I don't know if he's better than you know some of the offensive linemen that went, but. Uh, possibly the best offensive player and the best defensive player in the whole draft, right? I think it's uh I think sitting here today obviously without seeing them play it feels like a home run. I mean, I don't really know what other way to put it other than the fact that you got two potentially uh franchise altering players in the yep. first round of the draft. So explain to some of our listeners who are sitting there going, yeah, but he's coming off an ACL, especially for those that are over, let's just, and this isn't discriminatory, over the age of 50, because ACL used to be a career ender, and Achilles used to be a career ender. Then we see guys, all of a sudden, hey, they come back, instead of 12 months, it's nine months. And especially for a guy who's, you know, 20, 21 years old, I would not be surprised that he is at least cleared medically to start training camp. And you're looking at that going, gosh, that's seven months from when he tore his ACL. But it's, it is it is such a different world that we live in right now in so many different facets. But the medical advancements and how they treat these injuries and how quickly they get them back up and running and going is so different. Your thoughts on, or you know, for those that say, yeah, but it's an ACL. What do you tell them? <laughs> I would tell them, I mean, exactly what you just said. You know, it's not the 80s anymore where, right. you know, an ACL means, you know, you're you're in trouble. And it's a professional What does it take Adrian Peterson? Sentence, you know? He was like, what, six months? I mean, you know, I pull up the list of, you know, top 100 players in the league. I guarantee you at least probably 25 or 30 of them have torn an ACL before. Like, yeah. it's just so common right now. You know, I played with uh, Jordy Nelson for a long time. He tore his ACL and. You know, 2015, I think, came back 2016, had like 1,600 yards. <laughs> you know, so it's yeah. like one of those injuries that stinks because it's a long-term injury as far as, you know, if it happens during the season or the beginning of the season, you're done, right? It's it's typically yeah. that six, seven, eight-month process. But that's the worst part of it. Guys come back healthy now, you know? It's not like – I think the, the one big injury that people still talk about is, is Achilles because I think there's proof that, you know, when you come back, I think you do lose a little bit of that explosiveness. But that's when not you, true. When, well, I mean – That's not true. That's – Kind of the thought process. Well, this is the thought saying. process, but I, I, I tore my Achilles and I came back. Well, you were never that explosive to begin explosive with. But I, but <laughs> you were going backwards though, so you're, you're Achilles, you don't need an Achilles. You could cut those off offensive yes. linemen. But no, I think look the injury issues right now with 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 just like like you said the advancement in. Uh, in medicine and advancement in yep. surgery and the advancements in, you know, everything that these players do to uh, rehab and recover and the equipment that we have nowadays, injuries, look, if you play in the NFL, you're going to get injured. That's something yep. that they always tell you. Your injury rate is 100%. It's yep. going to happen. Some of them might be, you know, two to four weeks. Some of them might be six to eight months. And, and it is what it is. But um, 
ACLs are look, it's it's a very common injury. So I'm not I'm not worried about it at all. I think people that uh, you know, there, there's always this thing where you know you look at especially the first round. Um, everybody, you know, you get the flashy new toy and you want to go use it right away. You don't want to you know yeah. send it to the shop and Nobody wait a couple patience. months. You're right. Yeah. You don't want to be patient. You want to see these guys step on the field. You know, first day OTAs, first day of training camp, start hearing about how uh, you know scary they're going to be. We're going to have to be a little bit patient with Jameson Williams, but um, I mean, hell, <laughs> guys make full recoveries from ACLs all the time. It's just another football injury, and and uh, everything we've heard, at least from his side, you know, some videos coming out and him kind of getting back to some football drills, whatnot, the doctors, whatever you want to, you know, listen to, has all been positive. So um, I'm not worried about it at all. So let's take a look at the wide receiver room. Now you've got, because there's been a lot of movement of wide receivers around the league this year. The Lions, in large part, have not been players in free agency. You've got Amon Ross St. Brown. You've got Josh Reynolds, Quintus Sivas, Khalif Raymond, all back from last year's team. And, you know, Tom Kennedy, Trinity Benson. Uh, but you did go out and sign DJ Shark to a one-year deal. Now you draft Jamison Williams. Pair that with TJ Hawkinson and the running backs out of the backfield. This is, would you say this is a, we're going to find out what Jared Goff is and what their intentions are for Jared Goff throughout the course of this year? Oh, I hope so. I mean, I think, uh, you know, when you look at it on paper, um, obviously they have potential to be uh, an explosive offense, you know, and and that's even saying with how much Dan Campbell likes to run the ball. Yeah. I mean, he wants to get the ball downfield too. But, yeah, I think, uh, look, for Jared Goff, I, I, I it just kind of feels like, you know, there's there's no excuses as long as these guys stay healthy. You know what I mean? So I, I think uh, this was kind of about building this offense to the best of their ability to be able to fully, you know, evaluate Jared Goff. Yeah. Because last year we all kind of said – Jared Goff's not playing good. Well, look who he's throwing to, guys. Like, nobody's open. Nobody's getting separation. I mean, T.J. Hawkinson's the only one that, you know, is really a reliable target. That's until Amon Ross St. Brown started to come on the second right. half of the season. But I think this is a way to fully be able to evaluate what you have with Jared Goff. If he comes out this year and struggles to have success with, you know, the playmakers that are around him, I think obviously that's going to be a big sign to say, all right, we got to do something else. If he gets back to form where, you know, he was a couple years ago where he, where he went to the Super Bowl and he's spreading the ball around and they're making plays downfield, I think you potentially have a guy that could be here for a lot of years to come. So, um, but it's funny. I mean, I, I you know, you, you talk about, just Dan Campbell and his personality and what they want to do offensively. And I remember asking him last year after the Denver game, I think, yeah, obviously Denver kicked her ass, but Denver ran the ball like 40 times for almost 200 yards. And I think Bridgewater only threw it like 18 times, you know, just kind of dinking and dunking. And I asked coach Campbell, I said, is this something that, you know, when, when your offense is clicking, right. When you guys are running full throttle, is that an offense that you guys want to try to mimic, you know, by running the ball and just dominating the line of scrimmage and, and he said, no. He said, we want to be able to run the ball, but we want to hit our shots downfield, too. Yeah. We want to be an explosive offense. And I think that the acquisitions that they've made uh, with DJ Chark being a, that potential deep threat guy and also adding Jameson Williams kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with what he said about, you know, we want to be physical up front. We feel really good about our run game and our offensive line right now, but we still need to find that downfield threat. And, 
it seems like they got their guy with Williams. And you know what? You and I both love a great running game. There's no question about it. But if you compare that with explosive ability downfield, and especially if you're successful in the run game, now all of a sudden the play-action pass gets fired up. You can be aggressive up front, and then you take the top off with the Jamison Williams. I, I Like I said, I love my running backs, but when you can take 40 yards – 50 yards at a clip and you're running down because you and you're looking around and saying hey there's no flags all right we're we got to get huddled up because you know we're we're using the play clock but you have the ability for chunk yardage plays i remember especially as a young offensive lineman and this plays a lot into like penny sewell jonah jackson um when you have that ability to be aggressive up front and you have the ability to get chunk yardage plays. We had uh, Michael Westbrook, uh, Albert Connell, my uh, rookie season. And, you know, Albert Connell didn't have a great NFL career, but he was a guy that could stretch the field, could make acrobatic catches. Michael Westbrook, we all, you know, obviously, you know, local product here. Um, We know what he could do on the field as well. And when you look out and you've got those weapons, you know that, hey, when a play is dialed up, you just had a couple of you know six, seven-yard runs. Now all of a sudden the defense is being aggressive. They're, you know that they're, they're geared up to stop the run, and you've got a play dialed up to t- take the top off. That's exciting to be a part of that offense. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know as an offensive lineman too, like you're saying, I mean, you know, we had it so many times in Green Bay where, you know, run, run, run. They were busting off five, six, seven, eight, ten, and then the play call comes in, and it's like a – for us, I think it was like a 97 nude right, which was a play action, right? A little bit longer, but we're like, ah, oh, dude, we got him. Like, yeah. we might have to block for four to five seconds, but Jordy Nelson's going over the top for 60-yard touchdown. Like, we know what's happening <laughs> as soon as that play call gets called. So, as offensive linemen, you're absolutely right. You know when you have those explosive guys – on the field that there's certain play calls that come in, you know, are a home run shot. You and know I what don't I mean? Know if and that Aaron, gets you excited. I don't know if Aaron did this for you, uh, but I had a quarterback, Brad Johnson, and Mark Brunel, um, who is now the quarterback coach here at uh, with Detroit. When we break the huddle, he would he, we knew it was going to be a big play, but he would tell us, hey, give me just that half second. Yep. And we're gonna, oh, we're yeah. going to rock and roll. Yep. And just knowing, getting to the line of scrimmage, the excitement that that is, uh, I'm excited for this offense. Now, defensively, the, the one of the areas that the Lions struggled mightily uh, last year was to create pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They were 29th in pass pressure rate. They were 30th in sacks. Your expectations for the number two overall pick this year in regards to creating some of that pressure just simply by himself? Well, I think the uh, all the focus is going to be on him um, because, you know, he's he's the new toy. And like you said, I mean, that was a big weakness of this team last year was finding a way to get pressure late in the games. I mean, you even look at the close games that they lost, you know, Cleveland, uh, Pittsburgh, you know, I know it was a tie, but, you know, Chicago, Minnesota, the first time around Baltimore, you know, those close games, that was something that stood out was – they couldn't close, you know, they didn't have a closer. They didn't have a guy that was getting to the quarterback that was, uh, you know, making that big play, the big strip sack, whatever it was to yeah. finish off the game. I think obviously when you, when you're the number two pick expectations are high, people are going to expect you to come in and make an impact from day one. Now, a lot of times that impact doesn't equate to 
you know, statistics. I'm not going to put, yeah, if you, you know, I'm expecting 10 sack season out of the kid. I mean, look, it is what it is. You could have more pressures, more hits, more hurries that, uh, you know, don't show up on the stat sheet and, and still be just as productive of a player. But I think, uh, look, I think it all starts with Aiden. I, I do. I think uh, his versatility, too. I mean, you t- we talked about Pascal's versatility by being able to line up inside. I think Hutchinson's got the same ability. I think he's the guy where you say, hey, third down, you know, Romeo, you're healthy, you're on, you're over the right tackle Charles Harris right you're over the left tackle and Aiden we're going to find the mismatch right whatever guard it is or yep. maybe the center is a mismatch and you want to put him one-on-one and, and create an alignment defensively that you know is going to get him a one-on-one I think that's going to be obviously a, a big role of the coaches but um, I, I think Aiden's going to be the guy that that's expected to kind of lead that defense when it comes to third down getting off the field right relentless pass rush get in the backfield be disruptive do whatever you have to take to 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 to, uh take that defense to a new level so um my expectations are high for him i think a lot of people's are i think there there was a lot of people that said uh you know he was the best player in the draft and you know when a lot of that Look, it comes with some pressure, comes with some stress, especially when you're a young kid like Aiden. But there's a reason he was picked there, right? It's because you're a productive player. Now you got to translate that to the NFL. Now he's still got some work to do. I know I think he's going to have some bumps along the road and sure. some learning curves it's like every single do. like every single rookie does. But um, he's going to be expected to you know take that defense to the next level when it comes to you know not only first and second down being better against the run, but also getting, finding a way to get to the damn passer. Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point. And uh, Brad Holmes joined Stoney and I on uh, Tuesday morning, and, and he actually brought that up as well in refer- reference to uh, Josh Paschal, uh, their second-round pick out of Kentucky. He had mentioned that, yeah, we want to create more pressure with getting to the quarterback on the edge, but we've got to create more pressure up the middle as well. And Pascal is one of those guys that can do that. You mentioned Aiden Hutchinson and his versatility. If you can line Okora and Harris up on the edge and you can use those guys not just to get after the quarterback off the edge, but also, you know, hey, TE stunts. Like when those guys start humming together and you can create pressure from inside, pushing them out to some of your rushers, it, it it's it's got to be coming from everywhere. And then – you look and you say, okay, well, what are we doing at the linebacker position? How are we continuing to put pressure? You've got to have speed. And and I don't know how much Malcolm Rodriguez, their sixth-round pick, sees the field defensively, um, but he's a guy that can be used in special teams, can be used in unique situations to get after the quarterback in passing downs because he's also a guy, because he is a little bit undersized at that linebacker position, he's a former defensive back. Put on, got in the weight room, got a training table, put on some uh, some meat on his bones, and he's kind of in between. You know, weight wise, he's only about fifteen pounds less than Alex Anzalone, but height wise, he's about what four or five inches shorter. He's a guy that you could use to cover backs out of the backfield. You might see him uh, line up over some of the slots uh, in different situations, but it is about generating speed with this team. Uh, it's about generating opportunities, not just to get after the quarterback, but to you know create turnovers in the secondary. And uh, that brings us to their third round pick, and that's Kirby Joseph, who had five interceptions last year against Illinois. A real rangy safety, Hutchinson, Williams, Pascal, Joseph, four guys on a roster that is is you know needs a major upgrade in athletic ability, speed, talent should see a lot of the field this year. Yeah, and that's uh, 
you know what I think that's really going to benefit too is Tracy Walker, right? Yep. Let him kind of be that box safety, that strong safety where uh, he's kind of your hitter, he's your thumper. You know, he's the guy that you like to match up one on one with the tight ends and and maybe running back coming out of the backfield and let him do what he does best and and let Kirby just kind of take the middle of the field, the center field, or read the defense and use his speed and range like we saw at Illinois to make some plays. Um, but just going back to the pass rush real quick, too, I mean, that's going to help out the linebackers so much. That was the one position coming out of the draft where I'm like, eh, yeah. don't they didn't still kind of feel great about it, right? I know, you know, Anzalone last year was okay. You know, Jared Davis, obviously, we'll see maybe his second stint, maybe something else clicks and he's able to take the next step. But that was the position I was kind of like, oh, boy. You know, because a lot of it was in coverage last year, too. But that's yep. something that... Obviously, uh, with beefing up the pass rush is going to help those guys out as well. Not having to maybe pressure as much, you know, as yep. they did in the second half of the season because maybe you're getting home with, you know, those four four guys. Maybe you send five instead of six, seven, eight like we were seeing yep. last year. They had to manufacture that rush, you know, by just out, outnumbering the offense and the blockers. But, um, no, I mean, Kirby Joseph, look, I don't know a ton about the guy. I'm not a defensive back specialist. But uh, just, uh, you know, when you add him to a group uh, of, you know, the Tracy Walker, like we just talked about, I think that gives you two solid guys in the back end that um, Tracy, obviously a lot of experience, and Kirby, I think, allows him to just do what you do in college, do what you were good at in college, right? I think that was a big – and look, the whole change of the defense, too, I think is going to benefit the personnel that they have. I mean, you look at last year and you're watching film of – you know, Levi Onzerike in college and in Washington, and the guy's just blowing up every play in the backfield, and he's just exploding. Then he gets to Detroit, and it's like, ah, we're more of a read-and-react defense. We want you to kind of step lateral instead yeah. of get in the backfield. And it's like, well, you're taking away this guy's biggest strength, right, which is get in the backfield. So um, for me, it's just about taking what these guys are already good at and utilizing that strength to fit your defense instead of trying to take them and come in and, okay, we know you were this, but now we want you to be this, right? That just doesn't – it doesn't really, you know, add up in my mind. So I think uh, I think uh, not only with the personnel that they added in this draft, but also the changes that they're making schematically defensively um, is going to fit these guys a lot better and allow them to play – their type of football and just play yeah. faster instead of thinking so damn much. Yeah, and I mean, you would like to address every need in a draft, but there's only seven rounds. There's only so many picks. And when you have a defense that you need to address every single level, they addressed is what they could in the draft with, with the picks that they had. And I think that's the argument for possibly not giving up 32 and 34 to go up and get Jamison Williams is the fact that you have so many needs on defense. You didn't address the linebacker position, um, at least to, to what most people think is a, a, a starting linebacker. But you also have Derek Barnes, who is, you know, he, he's definitely not the speedy linebacker that you're looking for, but you're looking for a guy from him, like you mentioned, that can plug holes, that can read defenses, that can be where he's supposed to be and make plays and you know create some depth on defense. Now, TJ, I want to go through kind of a, a fruitless exercise, but one that I know people are doing in their heads. They're looking at last year's roster. They're looking at last year's games, and they think, okay, we had three wins, four non-losses. After free agency, after the draft, and there's still some free agents out there. I don't necessarily expect the Lions to be, you know, to, to go out and, and spend a whole bunch in free agency to bring in some of the older veterans that are still out there. 
what do you see as this roster is shaping up the benefit of this offseason? Is it, you know, hey, you know, go from three wins to six wins? Could they be a seven or eight win team? Could they possibly get right above 500 with nine wins? I think they could. <laughs> I think they could. And look, I, I think a big a, a big part of that is because, you know, just remembering back to last year and, you know, what, the three wins they had and, um, you know, but you're also looking at how many other games there were that, you know, were so close that they didn't win. You know, when you look at Chicago, Minnesota, Baltimore, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, right, Cleveland, I mean – that's five right there that you lost every single close game almost. Chicago both and, times. Yeah, and not saying that, um, you know, they should have been an eight-win team last year. They just, they weren't, right? You got to ultimately win those games, but they were close last year, right? So I think when you take a look at that and, and look at the additions that they made, they're not going to be worse. I, I don't think anybody's thinking that. No. They're going to be better. How much better are they going to be, right? I think that's the question. I don't think it's going to be – you know, Cincinnati Bengals where it's uh, worst to first type uh, right. scenario. But I do think that they have a chance to get to that eight win mark, I think is fair. And honestly, I think anything less than that would be disappointing um, because you're kind of out of that. You're out of that honeymoon period, you know, where last year was, hey, you, you only won a couple games, but everybody was still excited. You saw some building blocks. Hey, it's great. Now it's year two, right? Now your wife starts expecting you to do some dishes, right? Get, get, get your ass off the couch, start doing some laundry. You know, it's not just uh, honeymoon where you're just lounging yes, anymore. It's yes. time to start being productive. So uh, I think everybody understands that. Uh, I think the the players understand it. I, I think obviously Brad Holmes and, and Dan Campbell understand it. So I think uh, for me, I think anything less than eight wins will be um, not good enough. I would agree with you. I think that, you know, and you can't just be 500 anymore unless you end up with a tie because of the 17 games, but they should be that, I think, seven to nine win team. Um, I I would expect at least at at a minimum seven wins, um, at a maximum probably nine because you're still going to have, you know, in division, you're still going to play Green Bay twice. Um, And while they are, at least on paper right now, not, the same team offensively in terms of the firepower that they have at the receiver position, they still have the best quarterback in the division in Aaron Rodgers. They still were able to go out there in division, you know, I mean, uh, in the draft and add to a already strong defense. How would you rank the in-conference opponents right now? How how do you think it should play out? Well, I, I think it's still Green Bay's division. Yeah. Oh, there's no question. Okay, let's just that's the standard. Right? Right. Green Bay yeah. is this is their division. Yeah. Nobody has done anything. I don't think any team closed the gap enough to no. be able to Now, look, I wouldn't be surprised if uh you know the Lions maybe split the season with uh you know Green Bay or, or any of the other uh, division opponents. Yeah. Um but I don't think anybody did enough to close the gap on Green Bay yet. And that's even, you know, saying with losing Devontae Adams, they're still a, yep. they're still a very solid football team. But I, I think, look, I think, I mean, offensively speaking, you could make a case that, you know, they have better playmakers across the board than any other team in the division. Um, obviously, not including the quarterback, Aaron right. Rodgers is yes. special. But yes. when you look at the skill players, uh, you know, are they better off than Green Bay? 
right? With I don't do they even have a receiver? I know they picked up uh, Sammy Watkins, who's yeah, and, and Christian Watson on the draft. Christian Watt, I mean, offensive line. I mean, I think they're they they're should be the best in the division. Green yep. Bay is obviously still pretty good there as well, but they lost a couple guys. Um, so offensively, look, I, I think it's got to be you got to find a way to just start. It's so so boring and cliche, but start outscoring opponents. I mean, John, how many times last year were we think sitting here thinking, God, this defense doesn't have any talent. Oh man, this defense is struggling. And you really watch the game and you're like, Well, they held them to nineteen points. Well, they held them to seventeen points. Well, they held, they held them to sixteen points. Yeah. Right. You have a defense like that. You should be able to win games in the NFL. So um I think look, I I, I think they you, you you can make a strong case that they're the they should be on paper at least, uh, the second-best team in the division. Now, we saw last year, you know, and it's a different league now with the with the extra playoff teams in each divi- in each conference. I mean, you have that seventh team that you're looking at saying, gosh, I mean, last year, you know, were the Lions really that far off from, you know, maybe an Oakland team who, you know, didn't look very good and, and lost in the first round? Or I know they got their ass beat by Philly last year in, in the regular season, but – you know, are they really that far off from maybe being that type of team where they can sneak into that seventh spot or sixth spot? I don't I don't think so. Obviously, time will tell. They're going to have to put it together on the field. But um, I don't know, man. It just kind of – the optimism might be a little bit overhyped right now at this point yeah. sitting here in May. Um, but I think it's – I think there's a legit chance that this could be a team that, that could be one of those sleeper teams and surprise a lot of people. Well, and, you know, we talk about them needing, uh, you know, a lot of talent on defense. And you bring up a good point because if they can just simply outscore some teams, they lost six games last year where their opponents only scored 20 points or less. Right. And you start out the season with, uh, you know, in week three against Baltimore. Baltimore scored 19 points. It was a loss. Minnesota, at Minnesota, 19 points. It was a loss. Uh, at, coming out of the bye week, 16 points. Now, okay, it was a tie, but, you know, in, in our world, that's still a loss. Yeah. Uh, 13 points they gave up to Cleveland. They still lost. 16 points the week after at home against Chicago. It was a loss. 20 points against Atlanta. It was a loss. You win three games if you can just simply you know score twenty points at a minimum. Right. Which now last NFL, year you're talking about nine wins. Yeah. Which to, today's NFL shouldn't be that hard to average. I think if you average like twenty points a game, you're like the twenty seventh best offense. Right. So it shouldn't be that hard to get over that hump. And I know a couple of those games they played with uh, you know some backup quarterbacks, but uh, that's what that's just kind of last year where I'm thinking, man, like their defense actually wasn't as bad as people thought. They had a couple bad games, which every mm-hmm. team does, but like offensively, man, it just feels like there's no more excuses. No, there's no more excuses, and it's put up or shut up for Jared Goff. Um, college football, we're going to get into that a little bit next week because as NIL continues to develop, the transfer portal continues to develop, immediate eligibility, um, all of these different things are creating some interesting scenarios in college football. It's we'll the talk wild, about wild west out it's there, man. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. just no rules anymore. Uh, and, and we'll see if there's anything that can be done to, uh, to tame the wild beast. You've been listening to TJ Lang and John Jansen on Necessary Roughness. We'll talk to you next week.